0: Hello and welcome to the inaugural launch of Parkinson's Pathway Pals, Tuesdays with Teresa. My name is Teresa Jackson and I'm your podcast host. A little about this podcast. I started Parkinson's Pathway Pals to help others strive that are living with Parkinson's. When you tune into this podcast, you're going to hear interviews with Parkinson's professionals that will provide pertinent information to disease management and everyday tips to help you live better with Parkinson's. This podcast will host movement disorder specialists, professionals from the Parkinson's Foundation, Rock Steady, Sport Rock Climbing, physical therapists that work exclusively with people living with Parkinson's, as well as many other professionals and regular folks that are living with Parkinson's. A new episode will be scheduled to play every fourth Tuesday of the month, and I hope that you'll remember to pass this along to those who might benefit from hearing this. And that might benefit from professionals that help people with Parkinson's thrive on a, daily, on a daily basis. So for the first podcast, I decided that I would like to share my own personal story, which began long before the date that I was actually diagnosed. Some of my very first symptoms began uh, about two years or earlier before my actual diagnosis. And when I present my own story, when I speak in public forums, I always start with a disclaimer that the things that I share with you is my own personal journey with Parkinson's. It's not intended for medical advice. And that my hope is really that you'll find this inspiring and informative to help you live well with Parkinson's. I find it interesting that in the 1700s, Thomas Jefferson said, without health, there is no happiness. And attention to health then should take the place of every other object. And while I'm not sure that it should take the place of every other object, it's certainly important when you think about those that don't have their health, it impacts our quality of life significantly. Before I get into my own personal diagnosis, um, I'd like to share just a few statistics. In 2020, there are now 1 million people in the United States living with Parkinson's. 60,000 people are diagnosed each year, which means that every nine minutes, someone is diagnosed with PD. Worldwide, there's more than 10 million people living with Parkinson's, and men are five times more likely to be diagnosed with women. There's only about 4% of those that have been diagnosed prior to age 50, and that's called early onset PD. Some people say the age of 60, some uh, neurologists say the age of uh, 50, so that varies, but it's it's diagnosed sooner than what the average person would be diagnosed with Parkinson's. When you combine the direct and indirect cost, it takes $52 billion a year to treat Parkinson's disease. And sadly, nearly 50% of people with PD do not receive educational materials upon diagnosis or information on how to manage their or how to manage their disease or how to partner with their provider in order to thrive with the disease. So on to my own personal journey, my symptoms began early of 2018. And I had an intermittent resting tremor, which means when I would hold something and I would not be actively moving it, my hand would begin to tremor. I first went to my primary care in August of 2018 because my daughter had noticed this tremor early in 2018. And finally, in August, I decided to go to the doctor to see what this was about. And at the time that I went to the doctor that day, um, I had no symptoms. And so she told me to not worry about it, um, that she wasn't worried and um, just to, you know, go on about my business. Well, if you fast forward until November, I had some more symptoms that had become more problematic. And so I returned to my PCP. And at that time, she ordered an MRI of my brain and it showed completely normal for my age. And there was nothing to, to be acutely concerned about. She did make a recommendation that I see a neurologist for a follow-up visit, and I made the decision at that time because my daughter was getting married in December that I would wait until after her wedding to, to see the neurologist, and in between the time of November when the referral was made and in the time I finally decided in February to go to the doctor to the neurologist, I began to have other issues, which were like balance issues, some fine motor skills, um, putting change back into my wallet after I was given change, um, some leg weakness. I, I began to find it difficult to run down the stairs. I used to always run between meetings, and I would take the stairs instead of the elevator, and it became more difficult for me to do that. So I delayed my diagnosis until February. Of the following year. The first time that I was diagnosed, um, I was just in disbelief. And I say the first time because I did seek a second opinion, but I was in disbelief, I was in denial, and that physician provided no education on my disease. I had taken this so lightly that I thought that I had a nutritional deficit. And so I actually scheduled my neurologist appointment on the way to the airport because my husband and I were going on a trip. I remember very specifically that the doctor did a few um, a few tests of you know walking down the hall and uh, finger tapping things that are are done when you're being diagnosed with Parkinson's. And I remember when he said those words, Miss Jackson, you have Parkinson's. That. My head just said, no, you are wrong. This can't be true. And I remember asking a lot of questions and the same answers just came back. I said, you know, well, I have to quit work. And his response was, I'm unsure. I asked, um, would I end up in a wheelchair? His response was, I'm unsure. And I remember asking, how sure are you about this diagnosis? And he said, well, I think, I think it's accurate, but I'm going to give you some medication. And if you respond to the medication, then we'll know that you actually have Parkinson's. And again, I was just in disbelief that a medication would be prescribed for something that changes the chemicals in the brain. And yet you don't know for sure whether I have it. I've done a lot of research since then and understand that that is part of the process, but at the time, because I was offered no education, I just couldn't believe it. <clears throat> so my husband and I left that day. We had gone together to that appointment because we were on our way for a vacation. And we left the, the office that day. Both of us were just stone silent on the way to the airport. And I remember when we pulled into the slot at the airport, I turned and looked at my husband and I said, I don't have Parkinson's. I'm too young. I'm too fit. This is a misdiagnosis. And... Um, On Monday, you're going to go to the airport and you're going to go to the next job site that you need to go to. He travels out of the country for business. And um, I said, you're going to go do that. That's how we make money. And I'll figure this out while you're gone. So that's what happened. We went on our long uh, weekend vacation. We came back on Monday. He left on his uh, business trip and I went back to work. Well, unfortunately, things did not get better for me. And in March, I decided to seek a second opinion. And I was a little surprised that um, I, I received the same diagnosis, but I also, it was the same exact experience. Have you walked down the hall? Have you do some finger tapping? Miss Jackson, you have Parkinson's. I did, however, take the medication that she offered at that time, and I also made a decision to leave the job that I had, which I really liked, and to focus on my own health because I just didn't know what this diagnosis meant. So I spent a month or two resting and starting to research on how to take care of myself, learning about the disease. And in speaking to other people that had Parkinson's, I discovered that dozens of people had the exact same experience as I had had. Um, There were there was no information that was offered on the disease and um, they weren't told how exercise impacts Parkinson's in a positive way. And so I was just really, um, I guess I was just appalled and shocked and was just unsure why this could happen like why are people not being educated at the time of diagnosis if you're told you have cancer they don't just send you away even if your diagnosis is that or your prognosis is that it's terminal there's education and things to do around that diagnosis so i was just shocked some of the things that i learned quickly fairly quickly within the first couple of months after my diagnosis was that um, exercise impacts the disease in a very Positive way, it helps control symptoms, and the researchers think that it actually slows the disease process down. It has the potential to, and so why why is that information not shared at the time of diagnosis? I was just um, I just couldn't believe it. We know in general that exercise increases strength, it improves your eye hand coordination, it improves your posture. There's a connection to your cognitive processing for Parkinson's patients. It can relieve some symptoms such as uh, soft voice disorders. It can strengthen your core, which helps you have a better gait and better balance. It even improves your reaction time. So why were we not talking about these things at the time of diagnosis? Um, For people living with Parkinson's, we know that Exercise that makes you breathless, that um, makes you breathe hard and you're sweaty and you're tired, those yield the best results. There's certain types of exercise such as yoga and Pilates, dance, rock steady boxing, which is designed specifically for people living with Parkinson's, rock climbing. There's all sorts of types of exercise that we know um, can impact Parkinson's in a positive way, and yet we're just not sharing those. Also, you know, it really takes a team, um, people that have Parkinson's, to meet with a physical therapist. There's physical therapists that are trained specifically for working with Parkinson's patients, and they can design programs to help those patients. When you are designing your team, um, you need to have an advocate, and that can be yourself or it can be your care partner. You need to be partnered with a movement disorder specialist, if possible, And if not, you need to be partnered at the the lowest level with a general neurologist. Your primary care needs to be connected to these people. You may need speech and occupational therapy. You probably will need some physical therapy. You may need a neuro-ophthalmologist. You need a dermatologist. I wasn't told at the time of diagnosis that People living with Parkinson's are at a higher level or are at a higher risk level of developing melanoma and that you should have a um, dermatology appointment checkup once a year. No one told me that. That's pretty important information. And then, of course, it's really important to have a care partner that can speak for you and advocate for you if at some point you get to where you can't. So these things were all really important and they were not in place and I just couldn't understand it. So I began to think about what can I do as one person to help with this? So I started an initiative called Parkinson's Pathway Pals. And that initiative, um, I partnered with a support group through my own movement disorder specialist. And um, people can call me that are newly diagnosed and I help them connect with the right resources. And sometimes it's as much as just listening, but making sure that they know really important things like you have to get up out of your chair and exercise. You need to be socially connected with not just people with Parkinson's because you gain a wealth of uh, knowledge and information, but people without Parkinson's, your social group needs to be strong. Um, You need to have a good pharmacist. Um, All those things are important and so during this, uh, when I meet with people through this initiative, Parkinson's Pathway Pals, um, I help people understand um, some of the resources that are available to them. Since then, I've also become an ambassador for the Aware and Care Program for the Parkinson's Foundation. And I did that because it's another avenue to help people living with Parkinson's. Um, People that have parkinsons are far more likely to be hospitalized than those of their cohort of people without living with those are not living with parkinsons and what we know is that those people that are hospitalized it's estimated that there are 163,000 avoidable complications that didn't have to occur because people aren't educated on parkinsons so that education piece is really really important it also when people are um, hospitalized if they don't have advocates and they're not and they're not in a hospital where the staff is well trained on the Parkinson's disease that it yields longer hospital stays not just the complications which lends itself to longer hospital stays but um, that's just one area and that's one reason that I um, decided to become an ambassador for the Parkinson's Foundation. So I, um, I decided to reach out and to do whatever I could do personally. And that was the, my initiative that was becoming an ambassador and just to stay connected any way that I could with, um, people that have Parkinson's. And so that's really why I'm starting this podcast. I want people out there. I'll be interviewing professionals and people that are living well and thriving with Parkinson's. I know physicians that have developed Parkinson's and, um, there's just a lot of people out there, professionals that are able to give information to those living with Parkinson's that can help them thrive. So That's really my personal story, and that's why I chose to start this podcast. My desire and hope is that you will spread the word. I can't do it by myself. If you know someone that's living with Parkinson's, or if you love someone that's living with Parkinson's, please make sure that they know about this um, podcast, and um, I hope that you guys will tune in. I'm happy to report at this time that I am doing really, really well and I plan to um, continue to exercise and continue to spread the word on um, Parkinson's and helping people thrive. I hope to see you next Tuesday. It's estimated that there are 163,000 avoidable complications.